So I want to take some time this morning, though, to, uh, to speak about the blueprint, the blueprint of worship. And our anchor passage is going to be in Psalm 100. So as a child, that's the, the first passage that I recall uh, memorizing. Uh, so it holds a special place in my heart. But I want to kind of dig deep into this passage uh, this morning, just speaking about worship. And the passage reads, it's Psalm 100. It says, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. So last summer, I, had, uh, I decided that I wanted to build a, a, a storage shed in my backyard. And so uh, I went out and, and purchased this kind of prefab, put-together-yourself uh, kind of system. My original intent, intent was uh, to build it all by myself. All right, I, I can figure this out. I don't need help, even though the box clearly said that you needed help. Um, but, you know, I figured, uh, you know, I can do it. Uh, well, an injury stopped me from completing it. And uh, long story short, a group of uh, willing and, and skillful members of our church family stepped in and completed the project uh, while I was recovering from my injury. So come to find out, I could never have done it on my own, even without the injury. And so as I supervised the, the project, I realized the instructions were much more complicated than I had imagined. You see, uh, this was one, you know, like I said, this was one of those little like plastic, uh, well, I mean, not little, it was big, like a plastic uh, storage shed. And so in my mind, it should have been just as easy as like the, the little Tykes play center that I built for my daughter when she was a little bitty, right? It shouldn't, it shouldn't have been any harder than that. But I quickly found out that uh, that was not the case. This, this box came with not one, but multiple sets of instructions for really each phase of this building process. Uh, the first instruction was to make sure all the parts were there. Uh, that task in itself seemed overwhelming. Once you opened this box, there seemed like a million parts to this one simple little storage building. And the next uh, was to clear instructions to clear and level a foundation. And there was actually a separate manual just for the foundation and the materials for that weren't included in the box. Uh, so there's a lot of surprises when, uh, when I started doing this and that's actually where I ended up injuring myself is trying to build that uh, foundation. So what I, I realized, uh, I, could, uh, I could not have done this alone. I could never have done this alone. This was a detailed and complicated process. Uh, some of the instructions were unclear. Uh, some of them were just really uh, complicated. Uh, these uh, willing and skillful uh, participants that I had out here building it, uh, some of them had uh, decided that uh, they already knew how to do it and didn't need to look at the instructions, as, as I often do. 
So there was some disassembling and going back and forth and uh, just trying to figure out what components were what. And uh, so overall, it was kind of just a, a chaotic, confusing time for a little bit. But fast forward to the end of the project. It worked out fine. Uh, awesome members that helped. Uh, this structure is in my backyard, standing firm, and has withstood everything that's been thrown at it so far. So uh, they did. Uh, it'll be there for years to come. So they did an awesome job, and I brought all, I bring all this kind of frustration and, and humorous uh, things. At, at one point, like, I, I kid you not, some of these members were like laying on the roof of this thing, trying to reach and try, I mean, it was, I have pictures, so I didn't bring them with me today, but if anybody wants to see those later, uh, those are available. Um, but I say all that not to discount their work in any way uh, or their skill. They, like I said, they did an awesome, awesome job of putting that together. But I couldn't help but think when I was looking at this process and watching all of this unfold to think about what our approach to worship is. And so today I want to talk about that some. Uh, worship doesn't come naturally to us, or at least not the worship of our creator. We as sinful beings with our sin nature, we have more of a tendency to, to worship ourselves or something that's going to just kind of make us happy or whatever's going on around us, something that we find to place our faith in other than uh, our creator. So we need instructions. We need guidance. Occasionally, uh, we need some hand-holding, maybe even some, some prodding at times. And fortunately for us, God doesn't leave us to figure it out for ourselves. He also doesn't leave us with some overcomplicated instructions or vague or hard to understand or some sort of technical jargon or diagrams or schematics. That's not what he leaves us with. He leaves us with a very clear set of instructions for worship. Now, granted, Psalm 100 is not the only place in the Bible that instructs us on how to worship, but I believe this particular psalm is, is packaged very nicely and it explains to us very clearly as to how we are to worship. So today I would like to examine these five short verses and how they describe the material needed for worship, the foundation needed for worship, and the place of worship resulting in this completed building project. So these are the materials you need. This is how you do it. This is why. Uh, so, so many sets of instructions give you all that is needed for that building, but how many of them tell you why? So this one tells you why as well. So we'll start with the building materials. Nearly every instruction manual comes with a set of building materials, to make sure that everything's there. All the pieces are, that are required to assemble that project are in that box. Have you ever tried to put something together, maybe on your own, without reading the instructions? You get it all put together, and oddly enough, there's four or five extra parts laying around. <laughs> That's not how it's supposed to happen, right? And maybe that one little tiny screw is the thing that holds the whole thing together, right? But we're guilty of doing that, and that could just fall apart. Psalm 100, though, starts with a list of materials needed for worship. It not only lists them, but describes them so you can make sure not to confuse them with other similar, similar materials. So let's look at the text. Psalm 100, verse 1 and 2 says, Make a joyful shout or joyful noise to the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. So we have three materials listed here a shout or noise, service, 
and singing. First, the shout is not just any shout, but a joyful shout. Some translations say a joyful noise. And this is commonly where we insert the, the joke about people not being able to sing, but they can make a joyful noise. But we'll talk about that here in a moment. Before we proceed, though, I want to make sure you don't miss a very important detail. Uh, the Psalms were written to the Hebrew nation. They were written by Hebrew authors to the children of Israel. However, this opening line of this song ends with, all you lands. So this was a call to worship, not just to God's set-apart chosen people, but to all of his creation. God's invitation was delivered through his chosen people, but the invitation was addressed to the whole world. First Timothy chapter 2 verse 4 tells us that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So this statement comes on the heels of Paul's encouragement to Timothy to lead a peaceful, godly life with prayer and thanksgiving. Our acts of worship are out of a relationship with our God. God wants a relationship with each of us. So next is service. How are we to serve? We are to serve with gladness. How many of you have ever told your, your children to do some sort of chore or task around the house? And what you, what's the response usually for that? Oh, I don't want to do, why do I have to do that? There's all the excuse, and there's just moaning and groaning. And even after threat of punishment and they're, and they're actually doing that task, it's still, oh, this is so hard. Why do I have to do this? Uh, there's so many complaints. This is not how we are to respond to service to our creator, even though we often fall in to that response. Uh, we may go to church and just to check a box to say that, that we're a churchgoer. We may help our neighbor just to kind of feel good about ourselves or maybe make it less awkward when we see them again. Um, you know, what about, have you ever volunteered for something and then the whole time you're working, you're telling everybody about all you gave up to be here to do this. All, it's been so hard for me to be here, but I'm here. And, you know, it's, it's not that kind of attitude that God is looking for us. We sometimes serve with a, a self-centered posture instead of a Christ-centered posture as we should. And Philippians chapter 2 verse 8 says, And being found in appearance as a man, speaking of Jesus, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. This is Christ's perfect example of service and that he saw his work through until the ultimate glory of his father. If that wasn't clear enough, God continues, excuse me, Paul continues in verse 14 to say, uh, do all things, all things without complaining and disputing. We should be happy for the opportunity to serve, not because we can do anything to make God love us more or accept us more, but our service should be a reaction to the change that is made within us by the blood of Christ. Serve the Lord with gladness. How would you react if the next time you told your, your kid or asked him to do some sort of chore around the house, they hopped up with a smile on their face, they were eager, and they said, yes, dad, I'm so happy to help. You'd probably call the doctor. Do you have a fever? Is there something wrong? That's not what we expect. But that's how we should approach God when we're serving him. 
So our last building material is the singing. It says, come before his presence with singing. And I know, you know, you may be thinking, I can't sing. Uh, there's, I know there's people that can't carry a tune, even in the proverbial bucket, as it will. Uh, but I think sometimes we're overcomplicating it here. Uh, when was the last time you were just kind of walking around your house? It may, have been, it may have been a minute, but if you could think back to a time where you were walking around your house, you were just really happy. I mean, you're feeling good. Uh, you're maybe kind of humming a tune. Maybe there's a song stuck in your head, but there's this, uh, this joyful noise, this joyful song coming out of you. Not, not from, don't know from where, but you just kind of can't help yourself. I see that as kind of the same as when we have that, that spirit within us. We know that we're focused on God. Sometimes you just can't help but for it to come out. And if we're getting technical about whether you have the ability to sing or not, I can tell you I have heard people that I, they just cannot, and they'll admit it themselves, they cannot carry, their, carry a tune technically. But when I've heard them praise and sing, it is one of the most beautiful sounds I've ever heard because I know it's coming from their heart out of a place of worship. It's not about the tune or the tone or the whatever. It's about that person's heart and how their posture is towards their Savior. So that's what the singing that is described here, that's what we're talking about. When we are approaching the Almighty... The recognition of his presence should spark a song inside of us. It's kind of like that peace that passes understanding that we hear about in Philippians 4, 7. We just really can't pin down where it comes from, but we know that it comes from a place of worship for our God. It's like a well springing up inside of us. It can't keep from overflowing. So we talk about finding our happy place, right? There's a true happy place, and it's described in Psalm 89, 15. It says, blessed are the people who know, recognize the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. As we walk closer to the Lord, we better recognize that joyful sound of worship. So next is our foundation. We've made inventory of our materials, but before the structure makes its way upward, we must ensure that we have a solid foundation. Uh, the storage shed was the first thing that I ever purchased that actually had a separate manual for the foundation. And at first I thought, well, this is a bit excessive. Why do I need a whole separate uh, manual or instruction manual just for the foundation? But as the building began to come up, uh, the need for a solid structure, a solid foundation uh, became very apparent. This structure was expected to endure rain, sleet, wind, hail, extreme temperatures, occasionally a squirrel attack that happens sometimes. Uh, so whatever may come against this building, it was expected to stand, and it couldn't do that without the foundation. Having a shaky, unstable foundation just wouldn't do. The same goes for our worship. Uh, so we look at, uh, back to our text in, in verse 3. It says, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture." Now, I know what you're thinking. This doesn't say anything about a foundation. It doesn't say anything about the rock or the sand like we hear in Matthew 7 and the wise man and the foolish man that built their house. No, it doesn't. But it says something even more clearly. It says, know that the Lord, he is God. 
If we're missing that, it says, know the Lord, he is God. Seems pretty straightforward, but look at this word to know. When you know something, you know it in your heart, the implications of doubt and insecurity begin to fly out the window. In Psalm 46.10, it says, be still and know that I am God, I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. This knowledge of our creator is a settled confidence in who he is and what he has done and is doing and will do. Let's see what Paul had to say about this knowledge in 2 Timothy chapter 1, start verse 12. It says, for this reason I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me and faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Know, persuaded, hold fast, committed. I think Paul had a theme going here. In Christ Jesus, we have security. We have an anchor. We have a living hope. We have a sure foundation that cannot be moved. Romans 8, 38, 39 tells us there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ. Hebrews 9, excuse me, Hebrews 6, 19 tells us that Christ is our steadfast anchor of our soul. 1 Peter 1, 3 speaks of a living hope found in Christ Jesus and his victory over death. Our true foundation, our true foundation is knowing who God is, how that relates to his son, and what that means to us as his creation. The rest of verse 3 goes on to explain this. It says, it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. He made us. Again, that's kind of an obvious statement, but we as humans aren't always that bright. So we're kind of like the sheep that we're described as in, uh, in Scripture. You can kind of see that parallel now. Sheep aren't really smart animals, if you didn't know that. But uh, we can forget about our Creator. We begin to think that uh, we're in that number one spot instead of our Creator. We begin to worship the creation ourselves. Instead of the creator, just as Paul spoke about in Romans 1, knowing God means knowing he created us. Knowing he created us automatically assumes authority on his part. If he made us, then we are in some way accountable to him. If we are his, we are responsible for bringing him honor and glory. If all we need is found in him, they're his pastors, right? We must admit our complete reliance on him. Knowing God is much more than knowing who he is. It is resting in him, resting in his promises. It is existing in his presence. It's like being home, Paul puts it like this in Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fit together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The foundation, the cornerstone, 
is Jesus. Jesus is the reason we get to abide, reside, fellowship with our Heavenly Father. So this brings us to our, our house of worship. This brings us to the last bit of our worship instruction manual. The material has been gathered. The foundation has been built. The structure is well on its way to, to coming up. And now we are entering in the dwelling place. And, and verses 4 and 5 of Psalm 100 says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name for the Lord is good his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. So Brother Rich has this saying, and if you've been around him for any amount of time, I'm sure you've heard him say that it's kind of a tagline, but whatever's going on, he always adds, but Sunday's coming. That's, that's what his saying is. So, uh, so some may interpret that as maybe a reminder of, you know, don't rest on your laurels or, or not be prepared. There's always work to be done. And, and although there's probably some truth in that notion, I think the spirit behind this tagline is, is really aimed a little bit higher. We know that the Holy Spirit lives within us if we have a saving relationship with Christ. We know that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. But there is something to be said about corporate worship, about coming together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, being together in one place, one mind, one faith, lifting our voices to our creator, acknowledging his sovereignty, thanking him for all that he's done for us, and simply, just simply proclaiming his goodness. Just, God, you are good. There's something about proclaiming his goodness and love together. There's just nothing quite like it. I think this is really the spirit of this tagline. And as the psalmist said in Psalm 122.1, also a passage we hear often, I am glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. So maybe if there was some sort of Arkansan translation of the Bible, then maybe that would read something like, but Sunday's coming. Right, So we have that opportunity to worship. So I believe our modern notion of worship has become maybe a bit skewed. So we've either, we either oversimplify it or we overcomplicate it. Uh, we try to kind of pigeonhole it into, into music. Uh, you'll have people ask you, well, what kind of worship does your church do? And you know that question's about music, typically, right? So... But that's not all that worship is. That's a part of it. Uh, but we try to make, uh, we sometimes try to make worship uh, more rigid, maybe to follow a set of rules, uh, just some, something to be validated on our own. Services must start at a certain time to make it like a real worship service. Uh, we must have pews. We must have stained glass. Uh, there must be a cross in the baptistry. Uh, you know, we, we should act like we enjoy being here, but don't get too out of control. I mean, there's so many rules that, that we uh, sometimes impose when it comes to worship, we tend to make it about us and what we're comfortable with and what we feel happy about than really what God would have us to do and what posture he would have us to have. Uh, the instructions, well, and, and if we fall into that, into that trap, right, it's easy to do, then we go back to what we talked about in Romans 1 where we've become people that are worshiping the creation instead of the creator. So the instructions in Psalm 100 are, are, are really very simple. It even tells us the why 
of worship. You know, I'm one of those guys that even as a kid, it's not that I had a problem with authority, but um, when somebody gave me a rule, I wanted to know why I was doing it. Not just, oh, because I said so. Even though I tell my kids that, and it's probably not fair that I do that, but, um, but parents do that. But I, you know, as a kid, I want to tell me why. Because if I understand why that I'm doing something, then I'm probably going to do a better job at it. And I'm probably going to be more willing to do it. And that's really kind of, kind of how I approach it. But luckily for us, God tells us, he doesn't say just because I said so. Um, he s- says, you know, took all the wondering out of this passage. The worship, we worship him because he is good. His mercy lasts forever. His truth endures forever through all generations. You can't miss this allusion here to Christ. Right? Our worship is focused on the Father and his glory, all put on majestic display through the work of his Son on the cross. It's the gospel story really just all wrapped up in a nice little package. There was a very wise man in the Bible, some say the wisest. You may have heard of him. His name was Solomon. Solomon put it this way, or God was speaking to Solomon, and this is how he responded. This is in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 11. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Solomon, saying, Concerning this temple which you are building, if you walk in my statutes, execute my judgments, keep all my commandments, and walk in them, then I will perform my word with you, which I spoke to your father David, and I will dwell among the children of Israel, and will not forsake my people Israel." And what did Solomon do? If we go to verse 14, it says, So Solomon built the temple and finished it. God made a promise to dwell with Solomon and his people if he walked in relationship with him. For us, that promise is found in Jesus Christ. Solomon received the instructions from God. He gathered the material needed. He knew who God was, and he built a foundation on his truth. He resolved to finish the building, his dwelling place, And he did. He finished it. This was Solomon's walk at the time. He did great things for the Lord, but he also let this world get in the way of his continued worship. Solomon finished the temple physically, but in many ways, Solomon went on to tear down the dwelling place of the Lord by allowing his heart to wander. He never lost his sonship, but he ruined his communion with his holy father. Now, I wonder sometimes if we too easily let this world get in the way of our worship. Have we maybe begun to build a dwelling place uh, for God? We've taken that step of salvation, but we haven't uh, followed through with service uh, to our Savior. We've invited him to dwell in us, but maybe uh, we have a couple of rooms in our house that need a a little remodeling, a little sprucing up. Maybe... Uh, they were never completed in the first place. Maybe you have tools leaning over in the corner, covered in dust, never used. Maybe you have building materials that have begun to, to warp and, and decay from not being used. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us in verse 19, it says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We are not our own. We should be in dedication to our Savior. And so maybe it's time for us to do a little assessment. 
Maybe we need to do some housekeeping. Uh, maybe we need to check our materials list. Uh, do you have that joyful shout? Uh, is your service filled with gladness? Or are we just going through and complaining and just really not having the heart that we need to have towards our God? Do you have a song in your heart that you can't keep quiet, but you, maybe you kind of force it down a little bit and not, not let that out? Check that foundation. Get to know your creator. Not know of him, but to know him. Know who he is, how he is, why he is. Understand what that means to you personally. All this can be found in one person, and that's Christ Jesus. Spend some much-needed time with your father. So a couple of months ago, uh, you know, we experienced the whole quarantine, COVID situation, right? Our whole family basically um, experienced that. But my eight-year-old son, uh, he wasn't with us at the time that everyone got exposed. He was at his grandparents. And so we were able to allow him to stay there for you know, the next couple of weeks uh, to keep him from being exposed. And so that was, the, that was the longest time that he had ever been away from us. And so it was tough. And you know, if you know my son, he's, he's wild and crazy. So it was like eerily quiet in our house for a couple of weeks. But we really got to missing him. And he, you could tell that he really got to missing being at home too as we'd talk to him on the phone and FaceTime him and those kind of things as we got towards the end of that quarantine. And towards the end, or you know, a few days before he was able to come home, he sent me a text and he said, I miss you. I want to hug and snuggle with you so much. <laughs> as a dad, that's tough to hear when he's not there. But it was also one of the greatest things to hear. What sweeter words could a father ask for from their son? And I just want to be close to you. What sweeter words could our heavenly father have from us than I just want to be close to you? Every chance I get, I want to be closer to you. I pray our heart's desire is to dwell, to hug, to snuggle up with whatever word you want to use with our Heavenly Father. I want to leave you with this passage in Psalm 84, verses 1 and 2. It says, How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Let's pray.